mercy and peace to you in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the theme uh, for the uh, following Sundays in event as we uh, prepare our hearts and minds for Christ's coming uh, this year is to focus on each of the four Gospels, how the coming of Christ is introduced to us uh, through the Gospels. And it's a, a key feature of the Gospels that from the very beginning of the church, it was recognized that although they were somewhat different in character and nature, they were all equally true and equally important. One of the first arguments against Christianity by doubters and detractors was, you have four different versions of the story, which is right. And the church always replied, well, they're all right. In fact, there could be neither more nor less than four Gospels, as the church father Irenaeus said in the year 180, because he says it's not possible that the Gospels can be either more or fewer in number than they are. For since there are four zones of the world in which we live and four principal winds while the church is scattered throughout all the world, and the pillar of the church is the gospel, the spirit of life, it is fitting that she should have four pillars breathing out eternal life on every side and endowing men with new life. Each gospel depicted Jesus' coming uh, in a varied and unique application or due to its context, but the same in substance. Uh, the same central message that goes out in four different ways to uh, every point of the compass, uh, to all the four winds, uh, to declare uh, in its many and varied ways the one true faith. And the early church drew on the uh, uh, prophetic illustrations as a source of this from Ezekiel chapter 1 uh, and uh, later on in Revelation chapter 4, the, uh, in Ezekiel, the, the creature before the throne with uh, four faces, one on each side, one of the face of an ox, the face of a lion, the face of a man, and the face of an eagle. Uh, in Revelation, it's four different living creatures, uh, one with the ox, one with the man, one the eagle, one the lion. Uh, and the early church fathers associated each one of the Gospels with one of these uh, creatures uh, that is in some ways a little bit of a, a stretch to make a one-to-one -one correlation, uh, but it does highlight how uh, the prophetic witness has always borne out the fact that there are four great servants proclaiming God's uh, word and God's kingdom. And as we uh, look at the four Gospels, we see all the different themes of the uh, Gospels depicted in each one of them, or you could use arguably any of the different symbols uh, to portray them, uh, but one that maybe better than the others does highlight the central theme of that Gospel. This is why in uh, if you're a fan of old church art, you've maybe seen the gospel portrayed in this way. Well, this uh, Sunday, uh, we begin with the first gospel, uh, the gospel of Matthew, and how the way Matthew introduces uh, Jesus to us uh, 
gives us a, a clearer view of what his coming means to our lives. Well, the church fathers, in each of the uh, Gospels as uh, symbolized by the man, the ox, the lion, or the eagle, almost always pointed to Matthew's Gospel as the one uh, symbolized by the figure of a man, uh, highlighting the humanity of Christ. Uh, it's easy call in some ways, uh, especially as they uh, looked at the beginning of the gospel as the key to interpretation, because Matthew's gospel begins with a genealogy of Jesus's human ancestry. Uh, so we see Jesus right off the bat as part of a human family, uh, the product of uh, human reproduction, the uh, ancestry and genealogy uh, that begins the Gospel of Matthew, follows through the whole first 18 verses. This is why our, our Gospel lesson this morning uh, picks up in verse 18, because people typically don't want to hear that many verses of Eliphaz, Begat, Shalahud, and so on. Uh, the begats become very numerous. Uh, but it does drive home, indeed, uh, Jesus' human nature. Now, there are some caveats, or at least a, a more to go into than that Matthew simply depicts Jesus as human, though. And St. Augustine, one of the greatest and most famous of the church fathers, uh, was one who went a bit against the grain uh, by actually depicting Matthew's gospel as being more symbolized by the lion, the king of beasts, uh, because he says Matthew really highlights and emphasizes Jesus' kingship. And he made a good point there. Uh, as you read in the early parts of Matthew, uh, also the story of the Magi coming from the east seeking the king of the Jews, a passage that is only in Matthew. And Herod's uh, violent measures to uh, protect his kingship out of jealousy. Matthew even concludes uh, uniquely uh, with Jesus' assertion that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And so we certainly do see uh, the theme of Christ as king uh, introduced in, in Matthew as well. Now, Augustine didn't gain a lot of traction with his particular view. But at the very least, we should maybe say that Matthew emphasizes Jesus' humanity, but also very much emphasizes that he's not just any old human, uh, ju not just another guy. Uh, a key further uh, uh, example of that uh, is in more modern scholarship how it's often observed that Matthew's genealogy, unlike the one included later in Luke, doesn't begin with Adam. It begins with Abraham. It doesn't connect Jesus to all humanity so much as it connects him to Abraham and the promise God made to Abraham. By highlighting Jesus as the descendant of Abraham, it introduces Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promise 
to Abraham, of an offspring uh, that would build a great nation and through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Right? Jesus is the long-awaited offspring of Abraham. Matthew also highlights David's place in the genealogy, uh, King David, emphasizing Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant with David, that David's offspring uh, would reign forever and bring God's people perfect peace. And finally, Matthew, also uniquely in his genealogy, highlights an historical event in the midst of the so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. He drops a little historical marker and says, and this was the time of the Babylonian captivity, pointing out the context of God's judgment and salvation of his people, another saving work of God uh, that's highlighted in the genealogy and points out to his readers at the time the reminder that the uh, throne of David was currently unoccupied, that the promises of God and the covenant of God had not yet been fulfilled as they were soon to be. And so Matthew's genealogy doesn't just highlight Jesus' humanity, uh, but his place in the, the promises of God uh, throughout the Old Testament, uh, pointing to the birth of a specific child. And for that matter, just by highlighting his humanity at all, it also dovetails with another covenant or promise of God that Matthew doesn't mention, uh, but is, I think, implied in the background, uh, the very first promise of God to Adam and Eve in the garden, that the woman's offspring would crush the serpent's head. Uh, any reference at all to Jesus' humanity uh, signifies and applies to his fulfillment of that promise, that the woman's offspring would crush the serpent's head and bring us freedom uh, from temptation, sin, and death. Another key feature of Matthew's uh, introduction of Jesus as we go along that matches up with this uh, is the, the frequent observation, much more than any other Gospels, uh, of the Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled by Christ. Uh, we heard one example in our Gospel lesson. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin shall be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, over and over again, repeatedly, especially in the first chapters of Matthew, we hear that same refrain, that this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. Uh, in Matthew 2.15, uh, referring uh, to uh, the Holy Family's sojourn in Egypt, it says, Jesus remained there until the death of Herod, this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Uh, two verses later, uh, then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. Uh, in Matthew 2.23, they came and lived in a city called Nazareth, 
Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Throughout Matthew's gospel, we see nine more specific references of events fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament, pointed out and highlighted by Matthew. That Jesus' role as the fulfillment of prophecy is really central to who Jesus is as he's introduced to us by Matthew. He certainly does stress Jesus' humanity, but he doesn't leave it as broad as that, both specifically and particularly emphasizing which man he is, that he is the promised offspring of Abraham, the promised son of David, the promised Messiah, the king of Israel and savior of the world. He is the fulfillment of all God's promises, the fulfillment of God's whole plan of salvation that had been unfolding throughout history and depicted throughout the whole Old Testament. That particular emphasis was very important to the Jewish people, especially at the time when Matthew wrote his gospel. And uh, it was written to them um, because they wanted to be sure that this wasn't just some newfangled innovation. Uh, They wanted to be sure that uh, Jesus wasn't uh, uh, Johnny-come-lately starting a new cult, but that this was, in fact, connected to and, and the fulfillment of the true faith of their fathers. It was important to them at that time, and I think it's also very valuable and important for us today uh, for that and other reasons. One of those big reasons, I think, is how our stories so often feel out of control. That's common in our fast-paced, hectic culture to feel busy to the point of being overwhelmed, uh, reacting uh, to rather than acting, uh, reacting and, and late uh, at that, feeling like the day is seizing you rather than the other way around. And this isn't just the busy holiday season. That's really normal life uh, for many of us in our fast-paced culture. It used to be that December, oh, well, that's the busy season, uh, But more and more, you say, well, January isn't good, and April, and oh, May, that's even worse. And there really aren't any downtimes. It's almost out of control. And it may be that you're not one of those ones who's fast-paced and busy uh, at this point in your life. And it still may apply to you, that feeling out of being out of control. Maybe even more so. As many people feel like time and opportunities are, are passing them by faster than they can catch up with, as health and energy dictate the schedule more than their priorities. In some ways, our active culture uh, presents uh, many of the same experiences to those who are inactive, uh, just from a different perspective. And while it's not limited to Christmas time, 
And this time of the year does, in many ways, highlight it. The secular Christmas celebration definitely adds to uh, the uh, busyness uh, of our lives. And out of control is a very reasonable term for a celebration that began to build up two months in advance of the actual holiday and now has almost nothing to do uh, with the actual holiday supposedly being celebrated. The world's celebration of Christmas is indeed out of control. And all that added pressure only increases the sense of being out of control in our lives. Hardly brings peace on earth and goodwill toward men. The actual Christmas celebration, though, is a great comfort uh, for those who feel out of control, uh, like circumstances outside our control are governing the pace and content of our lives. Matthew's advent, uh, the way Matthew introduces Jesus to us, focuses on the reality of God's control, that his plan and his priorities will come to fruition. As we go step by step through the genealogy, all those funny names that begat other funny names aren't just a, a list of funny names. They're a step-by-step description of the very intentional process of God bringing his plan to fruition, of God working generation by generation uh, to build towards the ultimate fulfillment that came in Jesus, who fulfilled the word of the prophets, who fulfilled God's promises Uh, to Abraham and to David. That God knew what he was doing all along. He wasn't idle. He wasn't forgetful, but very active uh, to bring about his purposes and his plans as he faithfully did. The assurance of his faithful governance brings us peace and security when we feel out of control because we are out of control. The world doesn't revolve around us and we don't dictate all things in our lives. But we can take peace and comfort in the fact that there is someone who does dictate and govern all things in our lives. And it's not our enemies. And it's not those who don't care about us. It is our loving and faithful Father who sees and knows all things, uh, who uh, works on our behalf to bring every event in our lives to our good and our blessing. That knowledge of his uh, governance, his power and control uh, is a great comfort and blessing and all the more Because our peace and security is not just the accidental end result of his plan. It is the very substance of his plan and priorities. Remember how the angel introduced Jesus to Joseph. In some ways, this is the the introduction of Jesus in Matthew. 
You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus, or Yeshua in Hebrew, uh, what we would normally translate Joshua if we were translating it out of Hebrew instead of translating it out of Hebrew translated into Greek, uh, that the name Jesus means Savior. It means God saves. That is who Jesus is and what he came to do, to bring us salvation from our sins, to bring us the salvation that God had promised in the faithful fulfillment of God's promises, the blessing of Abraham, that God would bring all nations of the earth uh, through Abraham's offspring, the blessing of David, uh, that God would bring peace and security forever through David's offspring. This is a, a wonderful introduction uh, and a wonderful source of comfort and peace. May that peace that is beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until the day of his glorious return. Amen.